Good morning. Hey, you know, instead of having to wait like a month, you only had to wait a week till we got right back where we started or where we left off in Proverbs. So, congratulations. We're going to be in chapter 9 this morning, and last time we covered chapter 8, it was a lot, wasn't it? Healthy dose of wisdom right there, all 36 verses. And this morning, we're going to, why not, cover all of chapter 9. But guess what? It's only 18 verses. A little less content. So if you turn there, if you're in a Bible or using a Bible that we provide, it's on page 533. Proverbs 9. That'll be our text this morning. All right, so here's, here's the thing with chapter 9. It is the, it's the final chapter in the first main section of the book of Proverbs. So this first main section in the book of Proverbs is chapters 1 through 9. 9 is the final chapter in this section, which contains really Solomon's introductory lectures to his son regarding the way of godly wisdom. It's really the, the prelude, the introductory instruction, lecture after lecture, and setting the stage really for, to prepare him for the rest of the wisdom that's contained in this book. So setting the stage and preparing us for the rest of the wisdom that's contained in this book. And so we reach this final chapter, and, and the foundation's been laid in chapters 1 through 9. And here in chapter 9, we'll see that throughout our lives, ultimately, we're, we're really faced with two competing invitations. One from wisdom and one from folly. And we must decide between the two. There's no, there's no third option. There's no middle ground. It's either or. Wisdom and folly cry out and it's up to you to decide which invitation you'll accept. And how we choose to respond to these invitations will not only reveal our character, but also impact our course in life. So let's read chapter 9 together. Verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever cracks a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise... You are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. 
the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So what we see in this passage is both wisdom and folly personified, right? These abstract principles portrayed as people, as two women. Solomon presents them. I keep in mind, who is he talking to? Most directly, his son, right? So he presents wisdom and folly as two women who are both competing for his affections. These are two women who are competing for the hearts of men. Wisdom and folly, lady wisdom and the woman folly. And in verses 1 through 12, we really can divide this up into two main sections. Verses 1 to 12 and verses 13 to 18. And verses 1 to 12 really is wisdom's invitation, all of it. Look at verses 1 through 2. What we see here is that lady wisdom has built a a grand house and she's prepared a, a grand banquet. And these verses remind us of what wisdom is capable of and of what she has to offer us. The fact that her house has seven pillars, if you'll notice that detail, it indicates, first of all, that her house is large, it's big, and that she is wealthy. She has abundance. And if we consider the fact that the number seven is also often used in Scripture to symbolize perfection, then Solomon's likely also making the point that wisdom's house is perfect. It's flawless in its design. And so wisdom invites us into this environment where there is stability and order and pleasantness. And this is where she has a generous feast prepared. She's, the text says it says she slaughtered her beasts. So we've got steak. It's good. Prime rib. I'll let your imagination wander. And she has wine for us to pair with that steak. Fine dining right here. To say that she has mixed the wine, it means that she's mixed in honey or spices with it to make it even more flavorful and enjoyable. Not that she's uh, mixed water into it. Some people... Interpret this, Isaiah one twenty two actually condemns that as an abomination to dilute wine with water. At least in this sense, the mixing here is making it more flavorful and enjoyable, and it's portrayed here as a blessing, a good thing. And what we have here in Solomon's description of this, this meal is really an illustration of the fact that God's wisdom will truly nourish us, it will strengthen us, oh, and it will satisfy us, and it will gladden our hearts. And you think of what that kind of meal could do, and someone's saying, yeah, wisdom, eat up, drink it up. It's going to nourish you and strengthen you and satisfy you and truly gladden your heart. 
So the house is ready, the feast is prepared, the table is set, and the invitation has gone out. And in verse 3, Solomon says that wisdom sends her young women. These are her attendants, her maidservants. And the, this details an illustration of wisdom's elevated, privileged, and even royal status. She's a dignified woman. It indicates that God's wisdom is not common. It's not ordinary. Rather, it is noble and dignified. It is excellent and honorable. God's not just you know, offering out common suggestions. Well, if you like, I mean, you could live this way. No, He's offering us excellent, honorable, perfect counsel. It's elevated. Now look at the invitation, starting in verse 4. Who's it addressed to? The simple... And we have those who lack sense. These are the, the young and the immature. You could say spiritually young and immature. But no doubt we could say all the physically young and immature, right? They're simple-minded. They do lack sense. They need instruction. They're not born with wisdom. They are, the simple are uncommitted. They're naive and they're very impressionable. Although they lack wisdom, the good thing is that they're capable of learning it because they're not yet hardened in the ways of folly. There's opportunity to accept wisdom's invitation. They have not gone so far down the road that they have just put up a complete barrier to all of God's truth and wisdom. So wisdom announces her invitation from the highest place of the town, so that all of them would hear it, right? And we've seen this, this image before. I mean, she's going where all the people are, where she'll have the most impact, where her invitation will be widespread and be received by all. And she says, essentially, come sit at my table. Eat and drink the good things that I will serve you. Well, what's that? Wisdom, instruction, insight, righteousness, justice, Equity, prudence, discretion, and guidance. We've talked about those things. And in verse 6, we see that this invitation is, is really a call to repentance, is it not? It's a call to repent. It's a, it's a call for a complete change in one's lifestyle and direction in life. What does she say? Leave your simple ways. Your whole way of life. Leave your simple ways. Literally, the Hebrew text says, leave simplicity. Leave simplicity. Leave behind this way of life that consists of you flying by the seat of your pants and following your heart and wandering about aimlessly and walk in the way of insight. That's our call. Change of life. So this isn't just a call to make a wise decision every now and then. That's not, that's not the invitation. It's a call to live your life according to God's wisdom. And time and time again, we come here Sunday morning. We're always at that point of decision. We can examine our lives and assess whether or not we truly have been embracing the wisdom of God for us, whether it's just been going in one ear and out the other, or it's just bouncing off a hardened heart. So the invitation is to fully receive it and embrace it and live according to it. Now notice also in verse 6, that wisdom's invitation is ultimately an invitation to live. What does she say? 
Leave your sinful ways and live. This invitation to live can be understood on multiple levels, right? I mean, first of all, you could say it's an invitation to live a better life, a life that's characterized by righteousness and peace and moral order and stability. I mean, wouldn't your life be better if you just embraced the wisdom of God and actually consistently applied it in your life? Wouldn't, Wouldn't it be better, at least according to God's standard, there'd be more blessing in that? This invitation to live also is understood to be an invitation to live a longer life. Yes, a longer life. Longer life. Because guess what? You live according to God's wisdom, you're going to avoid what? Sinful and foolish ways that have destructive and deadly consequences. And finally, it is ultimately an invitation to have eternal life. To live with the hope of eternal life because guess what? Where does wisdom begin? How does wisdom begin? It begins with what? Fear of the Lord, right? A right relationship, a saving relationship with the Lord. And so, ultimately, what wisdom's invitation includes is a call to live eternally because it is called to be reconciled and live rightly in relationship with the Lord. So, we see in verse 6 that wisdom calls for those lacking sense to leave their simplicity, to walk in the way of insight, And then she then goes on, starting in verse 7, to share some of her insight. I mean, she's a teacher. So she's going to teach. She's going to take this opportunity not just to invite, but to share some insight. Particularly her insight regarding people's responses to her invitation. So this next section within Wisdom's Invitation is 7 through 12. You could say this little part is wisdom's insight that she wants to share. She's taken this occasion to do it. Now, in your ESV Bible, you'll notice that there are no quotation marks at the beginning of verse 7. Do you see any there? No, they're not there. Okay. They're closed off where? End of verse 6, right? So that suggests that that's where uh, Lady Wisdom finished speaking which would mean that the speaker in verses 7 through 12 is Solomon, the writer. And if you, again, the way our ESV is written, uh, if we look at the New American Standard and the NIV, the New International Version, we'll see that they kind of did the same thing. Those quotations end at the end of verse 6. However, I believe that wisdom is still speaking and that the quote, should probably not be closed until the end of verse 12. And that's not an entirely unique idea because if you refer to the New King James Version, it's a good translation. Holman Christian Standard Bible, a good translation. They actually take that quote and they close it at the end of 12. So I would say that that's actually probably the best way to understand this section that seems to be in between these, these obvious invitations. And the main reason I believe it should be understood this way is because of verse 11. You see that? Take a look at verse 11. It says, For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Right? Back in chapter 3, we read that Solomon, he, he said that his teaching and his commandments would add length of days and years of life to his son. But what, what was the content of his teaching and commandments? 
Wisdom, right? This is instruction in wisdom. So essentially, what is he saying even there? He's saying, my teaching, my commandments, which are teaching you God's wisdom. They, not me, but they, will add length of days and years of life to you. And then later on in chapter 3, we see Solomon says that long life is in wisdom's right hand. That's in verse 16. And then in verse 18 in chapter 3, that she, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. So when we, we, we get here in chapter 9, verse 11, when we see that statement, by me your days will be multiplied and, and years will be added to your life, understanding it to be wisdom speaking seems to be the best option. And if she's speaking there in verse 11, then it follows that she's been speaking since the quote began in verse 5. And there's no clear evidence of a break in her speech. If you can say, well, okay, she's speaking in verse 5, but not the stuff before that, but how do you know where it starts and ends then? The simplest explanation is that she's still speaking. Now, if that's true, then the question is, okay, well, what's the point of 7 through 12? I mean, what's the point here? How do, how do verses 7 through 12 fit in with wisdom's invitation? Burden's on you, Thomas. You want to take that quote there. You've got to explain how it fits in with her invitation. Well, I'm going to do my best. We can imagine that uh, as wisdom calls out, so if we're, if we're putting ourselves in this scene of her, call, her personified calling out, issuing her invitation from the highest places in town, we can imagine that people are responding or at least thinking about responding to her in different ways. Some favorably and some unfavorably. And in fact, it's likely that many would be uh, greatly offended by her assertion that they are not wise, but simple-minded. I beg your pardon? And her suggestion that their way of life is wrong. God forbid Someone tells you that the way you are living your life is wrong. Rather than saying nothing at all or or saying not interested or agree to disagree, uh, it's more likely that they would have responded to wisdom with animosity. And you can imagine that, right? I mean, if you actually try to share God's truth, the gospel, or at least speak some godly wisdom into the life, of someone who's not a believer or someone who's persisting in sin uh, and telling, calling them out and saying that what you're doing is wrong, but you're trying to correct them, it's not really an easy thing to do. And usually it's met with defensiveness, aggression, animosity. So wisdom declares in verses 7 through 9, here's what she says. She gives this invitation and then she says, uh, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Do you see how that can kind of have an effect? I mean, if you're going to share some wisdom, if you preface it with that or you kind of couple it with that statement, somebody like, Okay, I'll listen. You know, I mean, we want to we be considered wise, right? So I think, I think it's effective what she's saying here. 
if, if this is her still speaking, right? I think it makes sense. And here's the thing, the way you respond, and we're not really talking about in an isolated incident here, we're really talking about uh, as a pattern of life, the way you respond to God's wisdom, the way you respond when you're confronted with, with the wisdom of God and are called to change, your response will reveal your true character. Your response will reveal what's really in your heart. It will reveal what path you're choosing to take in life. Either your life will be characterized by embracing God's wisdom or rejecting God's wisdom. There's no middle road. So what we see in verses 7-9 through is that accepting wisdom's invitation, if we consider what she's saying, I mean, what does it require? It requires you humility. Humility. You need to acknowledge that apart from God's wisdom, you are at best simple-minded and lacking sense. That's you apart from God's wisdom. That's you at your finest simple-minded and lacking sense. How's your self-esteem meter doing? It's okay. Self-esteem isn't a godly virtue. You need to acknowledge that you have much to learn. So this requires humility. You need to acknowledge that you will always have more to learn. This is the attitude that will cause you to be receptive not only to instruction and teaching, but also to correction and reproof. If I know I've got things to learn, I'll always have something to learn, then I will be receptive not just to instruction, but also even correction and reproof. And guess what? Pride... It is the biggest deterrent to wisdom. Arrogance, pride is a barrier to wisdom. It will, it will turn you into a scoffer who's incapable of learning. You've got to keep that in check. What causes a man to humble himself so that he may receive God's wisdom? What in the world? What causes a man to humble himself to the point that he would not only love those who give him godly instruction, but... Also love those who give him godly correction and reproof. Love you. What? That's odd. That's not ordinary. What would cause a man to do that? I think we see the answer in verse 10. We understand it's humility, but where does that kind of humility come from? The fear of the Lord. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So in order to become wise and to continue being wise and to grow more and more in wisdom, we must walk in the fear of the Lord. And we've talked about what that means. It means recognizing His power and authority over us and humbling ourselves and submitting our lives to Him. That's the fear of the Lord. And, verse 10, also says it's the fear of the Lord and we must know the Lord. Knowledge of the Holy One. It's not just knowing about God, it's knowing Him personally, through His Word. The idea here is that we must have a saving relationship with Him through faith. This is the beginning of wisdom. This is insight. So you see in Wisdom's Invitation, she's telling people how to receive it, how to rightly respond, and what that says about them. You are wise if you receive my invitation and come to my banquet. 
And Solomon communicated this idea at the opening of the introductory chapters of Proverbs back in chapter 1. I mean, if all this is sounding familiar, it's because he's really, he's kind of closing it out kind of in a similar way he opened up this opening section in the book. Here at the close of the, this unit in chapter 9, he's communicating what he communicated in chapter 1 at the start. In chapter 1, verse 7, Solomon wrote, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that word instruction refers to corrective instruction, discipline, training. Fools hate it. They despise it. And what we're reading right here in chapter 9, 7 through 9, you see what that looks like. How do they react? Why do they react that way? Because they despise it. Because they don't have the fear of the Lord. So the man who does not fear the Lord is proud and arrogant and wise in his own eyes. That's what lacking the fear of the Lord looks like. Pride dominates. Arrogance dominates. Therefore, he despises wisdom and instruction. He regards correction and reproof as worthless. That's what it means to despise. It despises. It's just worthless. It's nothing to me. No value. It's worthless. And as we see here in chapter 9, verses 7 through 8, this type of person hates those who try to give it to him. He regards those who try to give him correction and instruction, godly correction and instruction, by the way, uh, as enemies. He hates them. Guards them as enemies. Why? Because, well, in his eyes, uh, they're attacking him. His self-esteem, that is. With their correction and reproof. So he won't see it as you lovingly trying to keep him from making foolish and sinful choices that will lead him down a harmful and and destructive path. He's not going to see it that way. He will see it as a personal offense, an attack on his own sense of greatness, and he will respond by going on the offensive and lashing out at you with insults. How dare you? How dare you? Because he views your correction and reproof as an insult. So, you know, yeah, I'll insult you. Who are you? What do you know? But he's got it all wrong. Later in Proverbs, we would read in, in Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, it says this. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Then faithful means that they're trustworthy. And, and the wounds, it's not talking about, like, thank you, I'm your friend, right? It, it's talking about the rebuke. But it kind of hurts, right? It's, it stings. Trustworthy, then, are the re- rebukes of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And sadly, a foolish person is only going to want those kisses. I'll take the kisses. You know? Give me some more. Kiss up. He would rather surround himself with people uh, who don't really care about him and just tell him what he wants to hear than surrounding himself with people who love him enough to tell him what he needs to hear. By the way, we want to be in a church that's just going to, we're just going to preach the word of God because we know that that's what we need to hear, right? Unapologetically, not going to sugarcoat it. Well, I talked about sin here. Let's just talk about our weaknesses. You know, we want to preach the full counsel of God. This is what we need to hear, and sometimes it stings a little. Amen. Amen. That is true. 
However, what does a wise person do? Well, a wise person, here's going to be an indication of wisdom, is that you're going to love those who offer correction and reproof. Again, I'm talking about godly correction and reproof. Uh, you're going to value and be receptive to correction and reproof because you'll know that it is good for you and that you can learn from it. So you don't just learn from direct teaching. Let me teach you something that you don't know already. You learn from correction. Help me, like, you know, let me point out that you're doing this wrong. Let me show you how to do it right. And even reproof. And as a side note, this is, uh, this is why we need the church. This is why we need to be actively involved in and committed to the fellowship of a, a local body of believers because God will, guess what? He will use them as a sanctifying influence in our lives and your life so that you might become more like the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in wisdom. You are not going to receive godly instruction, correction, rebuke from your unbelieving friends, family, and coworkers, are you? By isolating yourself, by cutting yourself off from a strong connectedness to the body of a faithful local church, by doing that, you're shortchanging yourself on opportunities to grow in wisdom. It benefits you to be here. And it benefits you to belong in this fellowship and fully immerse yourself here and commit to this local body. Or a local body. We have a bad culture, generally speaking, in, in our country where there's this, you know, it's popular kind of church hop to casually attend. I just get it, you know, a little, little spiritual fill up and it's like, yeah, I kind of come every now and then. What good is that doing you? See, it's not all about this event, which is glorious, which God has called us to do. They're not for, say, gathering together, worship Him corporately, the preaching of His Word. It is about the relationships in the body, you know, staying connected in the vine. Yes, Christ, but that includes the body of Christ. God will use His people to be a sanctifying influence on you, to speak godly wisdom in your life. Where are you going to go, or where are you going to get that if you remove yourself from that? Don't cut yourself off. Now back to the text. Look how wisdom concludes her invitation in verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Basically what wisdom is saying is that you are personally responsible for how you respond to her invitation. You're personally responsible. Receive the wisdom of God and you will become wise. That can be translated that way. If you, if you become wise, you become wise for yourself. So receive the wisdom of God, and the result is you will become wise. Reject it and scoff at it, and you will bear the consequences of hard-hearted moral ignorance. So if you lack wisdom, you're ultimately the one to blame. If anyone lacks wisdom, uh, what are we told to do in James? Remember? Right? We ask, right? He doesn't say, if you lack wisdom, well, man, your parents, you know, are so mean. Uh, man, it's their fault. It's society's fault. Uh, it's a genetic thing. No, if, if you lack wisdom, what, what do you got to do? Search it out. Seek it out. It's available. 
Oh, yeah. It's right here, right? Book of God's wisdom. Not just Proverbs, but the full counsel of God. All right, so let's look at that final section then. There's another invitation being sent out to you. Verses 13 through 18, this is folly's invitation. 13 and 14, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. The word uh, translated as seductive in verse 13 literally means thoughtlessness or lack of understanding. And the ESV points that this in a footnote, if you see that, do you see that? It's a little, little footnote there. It says it could be translated full of simpleness. Full of simpleness. Other good translations just say simple, gullible, or naive. And the point is, folly has no true understanding or moral insight to offer anyone. She's got nothing to offer you. She too is simple-minded and lacking sense. And yet, she takes the posture of an authoritative teacher by sitting down. Ancient custom, teachers would take their seat and speak and teach with authority. This is folly. She knows nothing. Simple-minded. Listen to me. I have something to teach you. She presumes to teach those who lack sense even though she knows nothing. In verse 15, Reading here, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. First, notice the similarities, right? Between wisdom and folly's invitations. Both call from where? From the highest places in the town. So that their invitation will be heard by all. Both are addressing the simple and those who lack sense. Both say, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Say the exact same thing. But then we can take note of the differences. What's different? Well, according to the text, folly, unlike wisdom, she has not built a house or prepared a feast. The only activity that's attributed to her is sitting down. Her lack of work, her lack of effort, her lack of preparation shows that she has no real concern for those whom she is inviting. She's got no real concern for you. She does not have your best interest in mind or even your good interest in mind. It's a self-serving invitation. In playing the role of a teacher, she then throws out this statement that sounds like a proverb. She says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. First of all, this is, this is not steak and mixed wine, is it? Bread and water? The quality and value and substance of what she offers, it pales in comparison to what wisdom has to offer. Again, just take the illustration for what it's worth. Steak and wine, fancy dinner, a crust of bread, glass of water. So, wisdom has far more to offer you. Folly lacks quality, value, and substance of what she offers you. Second, what she is offering, and this is obvious, is just wrong. 
because she says stolen water is sweet. She, this is what she's offering, stolen goods. Some believe that stolen water and bread eaten in secret, those phrases actually refer to, uh, euphemistically refer to adultery. And if you remember in 5, this imagery of uh, drinking uh, water from your own cistern, right? So that's possible. Even if they do not, the general idea is that folly offers us indulgence in sin. And here is her argument to win us over. It is sweet and pleasant. In other words, Folly says that her way will make you feel good. She wants to win your affection by appealing to your appetites. She wants to win your affection by appealing to the lust of your flesh. However, what good is sweetness to water if the water is contaminated? Would you have some of that? What good are the fleeting pleasures of sin? We could acknowledge that, yes, there might be some, some pleasure there, but will it last? What's the result of it? Where will it take you? Folly wants to convince you that you will be missing out if you choose God's wisdom over her. You'll be missing out. What I've got is real sweet and real pleasant. Steak, wine. I got bread and water, but it's sweet and pleasant. So much better. She's going to try to convince you to take her ways because you'll be missing out if you choose God's wisdom instead. She's going to try to play down what a great, grand banquet wisdom has to offer you. However, in verse 18, Solomon, he pulls back the curtain and he shows us the true nature of things. Verse 18, But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the the depths of Sheol. That's a term referring to the realm of the dead, the grave. And this is a fitting way to end the chapter because, and really the whole introductory unit of Proverbs, because it's a warning of the ultimate consequences of rejecting God's wisdom for your life. Psalm ends it on a warning. Don't reject the wisdom of God. This is a book of God's wisdom, and he ends this opening section with a warning to not reject it. Don't be this guy in verse 18. Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. Don't buy into the lie that living according to the world's wisdom will be more satisfying than living according to God's wisdom. But that's the message, isn't it? We hear that all the time coming at us from all angles in the world. Life is better this way. Life is more pleasant satisfying, pleasurable, exciting, thrilling. And look at you, boring Christians, missing out. Boring. You should live it up. Right? I mean, that's just the message. You see, you see these invitations? I mean, we see it all the time. So we have that warning. And as we continue on in the book of Proverbs, and again, this, this closes out this section And then we have chapters 10 through the rest of the book, all this wisdom for us. And we've been set up to to keep in mind that as we continue on in the book of Proverbs and as we continue on in life, folly is going to be sitting nearby. She's going to continually invite you to embrace that which is contrary to God's wisdom. She's going to keep holding out the promise of easy pleasure while making no mention of consequences. Did you notice that? 
Wisdom, on the other hand, has your best interest in mind. Keep that in mind. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is profitable, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's your best interest in mind. This is for your good and really for your joy and delight in the Lord. And you can look at wisdom's invitation. It's really, she's, not, she's not reaching out the way she's presented. She's not just reaching out to, to just condemn and say, I'm inviting you to my banquet. Take it or leave it. You don't. Fine. Sorry for you. You're going to feel it later. I mean, she cares. She delights in men. She wants men to use her the way God created them. So I would picture her more as lovingly appealing to you. Every time you read the Word of God, every time you hear it read or preached, every time someone tries to speak it in the Word of, your, uh, the Word of God into your life, it's wisdom lovingly appealing to you. God lovingly appealing to you to take His guidance. Walk in His ways for your good. Recently, Laura and I went on a, a hike. We are on a trail. You know, this path and everything. And this, you know, again, if you read the book of Proverbs, there's a lot that's said about the path in life that you're on. And we're walking along, and it's really nice nature trail, but it has, you know, with these little ones, our little girls that are walking along, we got to keep an eye on them. Like, oh, it's really nice, you know, have to keep watching. And the little daughter's just like kicking the dirt, walking around, not looking at anything around her, like the edge of the path that kind of veers off and, you know, falls down on rocks and stuff, or like the, the tall grass where no doubt there are snakes and whatever kind of critters in there. And there's this big su- sign saying poison ivy or poison oak, whatever it was. Big old sign. It's just lined with, who'd line a trail of poison ivy? Come on. <laughs> and she's just, you know, simple-minded. So we have to, well, we've got to keep our eye on her, reaching out. You know, I'm making, take my hand. You're, you're going to take my hand. Yep. Let me guide you, right? That's the wisdom of God right there. That's what God's doing. He's reaching out His hand. But again, you take His wisdom, you'll become wise. But you reject it, you alone will bear bear the consequences. So if you fear the Lord, you will accept wisdom's invitation. You will. And you will receive wisdom and you will increase in learning and you will walk in the way of insight. Continue in the fear of the Lord. So, the invitation is simple. Come, sit at wisdom's table and eat and drink the good things that she will serve to you. Every time I open my Bible and read it, come sit at the table. There's a feast for me, right? You've got to ask God, again, what are you trying to teach me, Lord, about you? What are you trying to call what are you calling me to do? Am I am I walking in your way? What can I learn right here in this passage? Right? It's not just my Bible reading plan. So we got this and good. I'm spiritual. You know? We got to meditate on the word of God. Every time we're presented with this feast, this banquet, this invitation. So let's receive it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. May we be a people committed to your wisdom, to living according to it and proclaiming it, Lord. Thank you for giving us 
counsel and guidance through your word and not not just as we read it, but through your word as you as you communicate it through our brothers and sisters in Christ who care about us as well. We pray for our body, this fellowship, that we would all be unified in love and faith and our knowledge of the truth and our knowledge of you, that we'd continue in the fear of the Lord and that we would walk in the way of wisdom as you've called us to, that we might taste and see that you are good, Lord, that your wisdom is perfect and that we would be watchful and guard our hearts against the the subtle temptations to embrace that which is contrary to your wisdom, to buy into the world's philosophy on the best way to live life or the the best way to handle our affairs, Lord. you've, You've addressed many things for us. And it's sufficient for us that that we can know how to live rightly in a way that honors you, in a way that will preserve us in this fallen world as we live on mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, for wisdom. Guide us in your ways. Amen.